Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Bothered Podcast with Josh Morani. Yes, it has been a while, but summer break is over. The podcast, podcasting, is back on a regular routine schedule. I'm happy to be back, and there is a lot to talk about. Training camp in the NFL, there is a lot of news going on throughout the league regarding a lot of teams, position battles, quarterbacks, all of that. I'm going to break it down. Also, other news in the NFL, Deshaun Watson, Kareem Hunt, Aaron Rodgers, Matthew Stafford. Then I'll get into the NBA and Kevin Durant giving owner Cy uh, an ultimatum on when he'll play with the Brooklyn Nets. Then I'll wrap up with the first coach's poll is football is finally getting back. And I just want to say I'm happy that football is back. It has been a long, it felt like a long July where there was no sports on. And, you know, it was kind of the end of June, all of July. It bleeds into the beginning of August. But now at preseason football, the camps are back. It just feels good to have something to watch live on the TV again. So football is back. And I'm going to start with Aaron Donald comparing Josh Allen to Big Ben. And all I have to say to that is really, really Aaron Donald. He called him a futuristic Big Ben, saying that he's a big guy, he's tough, he's athletic, um, you know, he's a bit more athletic, can move a little bit better than Big Ben. You think the reason his name was Big Ben was for a reason, because he was a big guy, um, much like Josh Allen, but he wasn't that athletic. He didn't have the arm that Josh Allen possessed, so if I'm Josh Allen, I'm taking that as a dig. And now, no disrespect to Big Ben and his career accomplishments, winning two Super Bowls, Super Bowl MVPs. But he had a lot of great success, Big Ben did, the early stages of his career. His first, you know, five to ten years. And you compare that, his first half to his, his latter half, and there's really no comparison. Um, you know, the latter half of Big Ben, the second uh, half of his career, wasn't really, um, you know, he wasn't going to be on a Hall of Fame uh, trajectory. Uh, you know, the second half of his career, no Super Bowl appearances um, at all. Um between the, you know, after that loss uh, to the Packers in the Super Bowl and never returned to the Super Bowl, you know, the 10 years therefore after that. And, you know, only led the league in yards, passing yards twice, led the league in interceptions one time. Um, You know, he was just an average quarterback, you know, his highest QBR in that span was a 72, uh, but he had stints of, you know, a 52. Uh, his last year, you know, the year he was going to retire, 35, he had a 28 in there as well. So he was very much on the decline. Yes, he had, you know, four Pro Bowl appearances, but he never made a first-team All-Pro. Um, so to me, if I was Josh Allen... I would take this as a dig because if I'm Josh Allen, I aspire to be first team All Pro, uh, Super Bowl winning, but also consistency as well. Like I said, Big Ben won Super Bowls early in his career. Um, you know, in the first ten years, went to three trips in his first ten years. After that, not a lot of sustained success in there. Didn't really take care of his body, uh, got hurt, wasn't really, you know, 
the second half didn't match the first half. And if I'm Josh Allen, ain't no way am I getting uh, compared to Big Ben, especially this stage in my career. So that game's a month away. It's the Bills. It's the Rams. Thursday night football opening up the regular season. I think Josh Allen's going to have something to prove to Aaron Donald dispute the the Big Ben comparison there. Now moving on to one Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers. What a guy. Went on a podcast last week. I happened to listen to the full two-and-a-half-hour podcast that he did. And really... The root of a podcast uh, was what everyone has been talking about, is his ayahuasca, psychedelic, hallucinogenic trips that helped him win back-to-back MVPs, helped him regain his focus and love for football and be a better lover in general, is what he said. That's what ayahuasca did to him. Did for him, actually. Helped him win the back-to-back MVPs. Better lover, all that. Uh, I happen to listen to most of the podcast. And they're all the podcast. And that's what it was all about. Everything was tied into the ayahuasca trip. And what a great impact it has had on his life. Um, the host of the podcast, as well as a good friend of Aaron Rodgers, who, you know, kind of introduced them to this, and they went down uh, to Peru, uh, I believe it was, where they, you know, had their psychedelic uh, trip and, you know, went into another realm. The divine went into him. I mean, it was, it was the podcast itself uh, was quite a trip. And, you know, Aaron is very open and, or at least now in this stage of his career, he's open because he's got so much power. And I'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, You know, it's nice to see players opening up. You know, you see players, especially NFL players, quarterbacks, opening up more and more, talking more, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, you know, And you have Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen. They open up. They're kind of dorky, but cool at the same time. Aaron Rodgers is a straight-up weirdo. I'm sorry. There's no way to sugarcoat that. Um, But he's straight-up weird. Um, No wonder why Devontae Adams left Aaron Rodgers. Um, I'm surprised he didn't leave him sooner. But shout out to Devontae for leaving him. Uh, Because I probably would have left this guy too. Because he says, you know, these ayahuasca trips have helped him to become a better teammate as well. Um, I don't know how I feel about that. Um, But he talked about being financially free. And, you know, the ayahuasca has just helped him so much. But... You know, he was talking about the great impacts this has had on him, uh, but also, you know, reminding the audience that this isn't for everyone, that everyone's experience is different, you know, so that if you try it, you know, don't go telling your physician that Aaron Rodgers uh, told you it would be life-changing to try ayahuasca. Now, guess what? Aaron Rodgers doesn't need to tell anyone that ayahuasca is going to be life-changing. It will probably change your life no matter what uh, going down um, uh, to a country in Central or South America for serious life-changing medicine and practice that they believe there. Um, And there's a reason that um, it's only there and you don't have it uh, here in the United States. Um, But the NFL said they're okay with it, said they're not going to punish him. I mean, how do you respond to that if 
Um, you know, a back-to-back MVP says that he takes ayahuasca down in Peru during the off season, and it it prepares him, and it you know has produced him the best seasons of his career. What do you say to that? You're you're just baffled. You can't believe it. So I'm fine with the NFL not taking a stance. I think they're seriously thinking that you know this guy is completely whacked out, and you know he mentions retiring every chance that he gets. So who knows how much longer he'll be in the league. I give him two, three years tops. So I think the NFL is okay with that. Maybe if he was a bit younger, they might get a little more serious about this. But since it's Aaron Rodgers, you know, why not make a mess of this now? On another note with Aaron Rodgers, says he doesn't see the benefit in playing in a preseason series at all, and happened to throw some shade at Matt LaFleur as well, saying, I'm not saying this, and I quote, I'm not saying this to send a message to Matt. I've already told Matt the same thing. We'll see what happens when we get there. I think it's a no-win situation to the outside of a building. Somebody gets hurt. I can't believe they played our guys. But if we go out and have a stinker, I can't believe they didn't play them. You just got to do what's best for the squad. And Matt's going to do that. He's going to lean on the leaders of a football team. And if he feels like we need to go out and play, we'll go out and play. But I don't want to just go out and play three plays. That, to me, is a waste of time. End of quote. Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers. I finally figured out why Aaron Rodgers stayed in um, Green Bay, you know, it wasn't, you know, the best chance to win a Super Bowl. Everybody's saying this past offseason when he signed, oh, it's the best, you know, it's the best spot to win a Super Bowl. Devontae gets traded. Well, it's about the money. The reason he stayed was, uh, you know, three years, $150 million, $50 million a year guaranteed. That's part of it. He talked about it on his podcast, being financially free. But as he said, he's been financially free. For quite some time. The biggest thing he's had. Is the power. The power that he has on Green Bay. Is. Unparalleled for a player across the league. To me not even Tom Brady. Has this much power now. I think Tom Brady has power when it comes to free agents. And the creation of his team. Which is very powerful. You know. To me the. You know. Unofficial general manager of the Bucks. But in terms of dictator power, that is all Aaron Rodgers. And if Aaron Rodgers would have gotten traded to the Broncos or some other team in the offseason, he would not have this much power. Why? Because they don't have an owner. They are the only team in the league without an official owner. So nobody can control Aaron Rodgers. Nobody can reign in Aaron Rodgers. And he likes having the power. He knows a general manager is a pushover, and he can get whatever he wants from him, and Matt LaFleur is much of the same. So ultimately, he has a power. So when he say Matt LaFleur, Matt LaFleur is going to lean on the leaders of a football team, who's the leader of this football team? Aaron Rodgers. Are there any other leaders on this football team? No, not really. Shipped out Devante. He was another leader. David Bakhtiari, he hasn't played uh, last year, another knee procedure, might not play a lot again. How much input does he really have? Defense, he lost Siderius Smith. I mean, you still got DeAndre Campbell, but he's not really a leader. So the only person leaning in here, their input, it's Aaron Rodgers. He has all the control. He has all the power. He likes it. Now he can credit ayahuasca all he wants for a multitude of things. But the general manager here is, you know, allowed Kevin Durant to have this much power. Matt LaFleur, they haven't reined him in. 
And now you've got Aaron Rodgers, the ayahuasca tripper, and the ultimate power guy for his football team. That's all he wants is power and control. And he's definitely got it. He doesn't need another Super Bowl. He's already a Super Bowl champion. Um, But to me, there's 12 other quarterbacks that have won multiple Super Bowls. Am I going to put Aaron Rodgers ahead of Peyton Manning? No. No, I'm not. I think one more puts him, you know, in the official cemented top five conversation. But I'm not putting him above Peyton, above Joe Montana. Uh, I'm not. Uh, And guess what? What factors into my quarterback rankings? It's not just talent, it's Super Bowls, it's wins, it's leadership, it's poise in the pocket, maybe a little bit of mobility, but ayahuasca trips um, don't factor into my uh, official quarterback rankings, but it might alter it a little bit uh, moving forward, you know, might move them up, move them, I mean, down a spot uh, or so now. Moving on to another story in the NFL, is Kareem Hunt wants an extension or to be traded? And the Browns simply said no. No to both the extension and the trade. So Kareem Hunt has been holding in, not holding out. Holding out is when you don't show up at practice or anything, you get fined. However, Kareem Hunt shows up. However, he doesn't practice. Uh, therefore, avoids the fine. Very clever. And if I'm the Browns, I might not sign him to an extension, but to make him happy, I definitely bump up his pay a bit more. Why? As I'm about to get into in the next topic, it's a, you know, it involves Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson suspended six games. League is looking for more. So if I'm Kareem Hunt, I'm knowing that if Deshaun's gone, there's a bigger workload on me. That's just the truth, that they've already rely heavily on myself and Nick Chubb in the running game, also me more in the passing game. Uh, so if they're going to be involving me more, more damage to my body, I want to get paid more. And this is, to me, a tremendous talent, to me, a top 10 running back, In the league, the Browns have the best running back tandem. His rookie year, made the Pro Bowl, led the league in rushing yards, you know, had eight touchdowns, was tremendous. Second year, played, you know, half the season, 824 yards. Then the following year, uh, suspended uh, most of the year. He comes back, you know, is a backup in Cleveland, 841 yards as a backup. That's pretty good. Um... This past year, um, dealt with COVID and injury, so he only had 386 yards um, there. You know, his oh, worst season outside of the suspended year where he only played three three games. But if I'm Kareem Hunt, I look at myself saying, hey, I don't have a lot of wear and tear on my body. If you're going to use me more this season, give me some money. Get me traded because I feel like I can be a running back number one and Kareem Hunt. You know, give him to 20 other teams. He's their running back number one. So I'm fine with this, you know, trade request. If I'm Cleveland, I might try bumping up his pay, especially if Deshaun Watson gets a year. Because Kareem Hunt is a valuable piece of the Browns team, uh, especially last year. You know, you had Hunt injured most of the time. You also had Nick Chubb out a game or two. Uh, so but having the best running back tandem, is going to be vital for Jacoby Brissett or whoever's going to start there for the Cleveland Browns. Definitely pay this man. Give him more money up front. I don't know if I give him an extension uh, if I'm shouldering Nick Chubb and I'm hoping to get, you know, Deshaun Watson and throw him the football a bit more. But right now, you pay the man. Now moving on. To Deshaun Watson. He was suspended six games. Immediately, I thought that was wrong. Um, And then I read what came out. Uh, 
through the trials and the excerpt, you know, the official documents or whatever comes out after uh, the trial is over. And I thought, you know, this guy should be suspended more than six games. So I was happy when the NFL uh, really appealed this suspension as they're trying to push for, you know, ultimately a year. I think they'd settle on 12 games, but they want a year. And the more I got to reading about Deshaun Watson in his little massage sense, I'm not going to go into detail um, about what he did in these rooms, but I know you can't, you know, he didn't get, you know, found guilty for, you know, sexual assault or anything of that nature um, or harassment, but what he did was borderline harassment, but in the end, uh, very creepy and morally wrong. And I got to talking with my family. We all agreed that for what Deshaun Watson did, let's say if I were to do what Deshaun Watson were to get to, uh, I'd been, I would have been fired from my job. Um, you know, if this was, you know, Matt Lauer, NBC, you would have got fired and canceled. If you were a, a backup quarterback, some bum, they would have avoided the unnecessary distraction, and they would have just cut you from the team. But since this is Deshaun Watson, one of the top NFL towns, we have to kind of give you a pass and try to, you know, sweep it under the bridge, under the rug, whatever you want to say. No, I think the NFL did the right thing. I think it's right for them um, to appeal the suspension. Want 12 games, want a year. To me, that is, it's the right thing to do. Um, you know, I'm not going to make this a political at all in terms of rights, women's rights, any of that. But just in terms of moral conduct and behavior, a one-year suspension without pay. And I know they won't go that far. I know they want to find Deshaun Watson. Um, he doesn't want to find. Um, but to me, a year suspension should be plenty for what he did or should be uh, the bare minimum for what he did. And... I also just want to call out those sick Brown fans that were cheering for him when, you know, he got the six-game suspension the next day, comes out to practice a training camp, and he's smiling, and Browns fans are cheering him. It's quite tone-deaf. It's quite ridiculous. It's quite disgusting um, because of this little... Act. I'm not a fan of Deshaun Watson and people who don't have moral, ethical behavior and conduct. Um, those people aren't really my friends. I don't support them. I don't support Deshaun Watson. I don't support the Cleveland Browns. I do support the NFL. I love the NFL. And any team that plays the Cleveland Browns in the next, this whole season... I'm rooting against the Cleveland Browns. It's just as simple as that. So if you have, if you sense me when I'm, you know, picking games, talking about the Browns, and there's a hint of any, you know, bias there, you know, he doesn't really like the Browns. Well, well, that's it. This is it. Um, again, I hope the NFL wins their appeal and Deshaun Watson uh, gets that year ban. More NFL news. Roquan Smith, star linebacker for the Chicago Bears, requests a trade. I praise him for that one. He's one of the best linebackers in the game. He's young. He's all pro. Uh, the past two seasons, you know, in the past uh, four years since he's been drafted as a rookie, only two people have more tackles than him. Bobby Wagner. 
and Darius Leonard, now Shaquille Leonard. So that's one I have to also remember is Darius Leonard wants to be called Shaquille Leonard now. So calling him Shaq Leonard, you know, I'm just used to Shaq Barrett, but he's Shaq Leonard. Um, But I'm not going to dive down this rabbit hole now. But Roquan Smith requested a trade. You know, but to me, the best Bear player left on the team. There's no Khalil Mack. Now Roquan Smith requests a trade. Says he does not feel valued that this new staff, his GM, the front office, don't value him. And he's accused them of trying to take advantage of him and it's left him no choice than to make this. Uh, not a great way for the new coach uh, to start with your best defensive player asking for a trade. And this, to me, just shows how awful this Bears organization has been, not just now, but for some time. I don't see them value players. I don't. Um, You know, I don't see anybody get heated on the sideline. I watched Justin Fields take shot after shot last year, um, and I felt bad for Justin. I like watching Justin Fields. I think he's electric. He had some good plays, but he got rocked last year. He had no help from his offensive line. Uh, his receivers uh, were just all right. Darnell Mooney was the best one. And what did the Bears repay him with? They trade Khalil Mack on defense. Roquan Smith wants out of there. And then their draft and free agency didn't support Justin Fields one bit. If I'm Justin Fields, I might request a trade next uh, to a team that values me and, you know, wants to put me, you know, in a position to win and succeed because the Bears the Bears aren't doing that right now, not with any of their players, not with Justin Fields, not with Roquan Smith. Uh, they're an utter embarrassment of the NFL. I think they're going to be one of the worst teams in the league. I think they're going to be the worst team by far in the division that they're in, the NFC North. Yes, Detroit Lions will be better than the Chicago Bears. I have a feeling Chicago Bears are hurtling towards yet another top five pick. They'll be in the basement, the cellar of the NFC and the whole league. That's how bad this Bears team is. And it's not, you know, their players. It's their front office. It's your staff that they really have uh, to blame for this situation that they seem to be in the past few years. Now moving on to training camp. What reports have there been around training camp? What rumblings have there been? I'm going to start with the Ravens and Lamar Jackson. He's been practicing, but he still wants a new contract, and everybody seems to have a take on Lamar Jackson. You know, most of them say he shouldn't play until he gets his money fully guaranteed. If I'm Lamar, I'm not taking less than $230 million guaranteed. I'm not playing. What's that going to do? What has the NFL shown you if you don't play what happens to you? Remember Le'Veon Bell? Remember how good he is? Took a year off. Never was the same guy again. Never was. Deshaun Watson, he's taken a year off. Who knows when he'll play again or how good he'll even be when he returns. Usually people that take a year off just because, and it's not injury-related, don't come back the same player. If I'm Lamar, I'm still playing. I have my contract that I want. I think the Ravens know about it. If they want to pay me, great. If not, so be it. They can franchise tag me. And the franchise tag number is going to be very high. He's going to get paid. That money is guaranteed. Is it risky playing on the franchise tag? Yes. Is it also risky what Lamar is doing playing on his fifth-year option with the Baltimore Ravens? Even riskier. But if I'm Lamar, if I think I'm the man... I'm holding out. If I'm a Ravens, do I pay him an Aaron Rodgers rate? No, he doesn't get the Rodgers rate. 
Does he get the Kyler Murray rate? No, I don't think so. And I don't even think that Kyler Murray should have his rate as the second highest paid quarterback in the league. I don't. Um, I don't think Kyler Murray's second behind Aaron Rodgers. You know, if I'm looking at Lamar Jackson, I'm looking at the Dak Prescott deal as a more comparable one. Yes, it's a lot of money, but it's a lot of money. Right now, pay him, make him happy now. We'll renegotiate him a future when, you know, you've got less money guaranteed. That kind of, if Lamar Jackson has some offer for me, I'd rather front load it, give him his money so that later um, I don't have to worry about him if he gets hurt because I do think Lamar's style of play, you don't got a long shelf life in the NFL. Mobile quarterbacks like that run first. They don't have the Tom Brady shelf life, the Aaron Rodgers shelf life, the Drew Brees shelf life. They just don't. Hey, Lamar, see what happens. Steelers, their quarterback. Interesting there. Trubisky is named the official starter on the depth chart. He's been taking a majority of the first-team reps. Coaches really like Mitch Trubisky. Right behind him, Mason Rudolph. They say he's been very good. He's been competitive. Kenny Pickett had a little rough start there. It was getting better, but it's not all fine and dandy for the Steelers' first-round pick. Now, this is noteworthy to me because I thought Kenny Pickett was the best quarterback of a bunch. I thought Steelers got good value there into the first round for him. Could be their franchise guy. But to me, it's very worrisome. That not only is Mitch Trubisky ahead of you, but so is Mason Rudolph. That's very concerning. If I drafted what I consider to be my next, the heir to Big Ben, I don't want him sitting third on the depth chart. Something about that doesn't seem right. It makes me nervous that Trubisky, and especially Rudolph, is ahead of him. I think Pickett can still make up ground. There'll be preseason action as well. But you really don't want to start in the NFL third on the depth chart. That's not good. Because it not only takes one injury, it takes two injuries to get you in that game. And that's very unlikely. So Kenny Pickett, to me, has got to play a lot better. And I know he's the least acclimated to the NFL. But he's going to have to start making some moves, start playing better. Eagles now. Eagles wide receiver, Jalen Rager. Coach Sirianni says he is fighting for a spot on the team. Imagine that. Imagine you're a former first-round pick 2020. Your coach is telling you you're fighting for a spot on our team. That better light a fire within you. Um, If my boss were to tell me, hey, these next couple weeks, we're going to evaluate your tasks and what you do, how you do it, your timeliness, your efficiency, quality. Because you're fighting for a spot on this team, on this company. Uh, yeah, that would light a fire within me, and I'd be jumping from whatever spot I'm in and my favorites with my boss, and I'd be making my rounds all the way up to number one. In Jalen Rager isn't in a good spot, because guess what? He had a year to prove himself. He didn't do anything with it. Everybody compares him, you know, they took him ahead of Justin Jefferson. What were they thinking? He hasn't panned out. So the following year, what did they do? Draft Devontae Smith. Passes Jalen up in the depth chart. Jalen, hey, guess what? This is my second year. I've got to do something. Well, guess what? Even as a number two, you can't do it. So what do the Eagles do? They trade for A.J. Brown. Now you're third on the depth chart, and you're fighting for a spot on the team? Um, this is looking very much like a bust to me. Uh, I don't know how Jalen Rager is, what his work ethic's like, any of that. But to me, you know, his mental game, his mental edge, 
I don't know if it's there or not, his efficiency, if he is lazy, but a first-round pick in each year, you get lower and lower on the depth chart where you're fighting for a spot on the team. It's not good, and who knows, they might cut you loose. Next up, Lions. Another team, same draft, bad pick. Jeff Okuda. First year, not that good. Mired with injuries, but play overall wasn't great. Last year, towards Achilles, didn't play at all. Now in his third year, much like Jalen Rager, former first-round pick, but he was picked number three in the draft. Uh, and he's fighting for nice spot on the team, but he's fighting for cornerback position number one with Will Harris. It's been a tough, long road for Jeff Okuda. I've been saying this, but this is his year. He needs to step up and prove himself as the third-round pick, because if not, he's about to be a journeyman or, or cut loose from this team and from this league. So Jeff Okuda's really, really got to step up um, this year and have, you know, I'm not expecting a – I don't need a huge impact. I don't need a, a Richard Sherman pro all-pro type year from Jeff Okuda. I don't need a, you know, J.C. Jackson last year or a Stephon Gilmore defensive player of the year from him. I just need some improvement. I need some progress. I just need him going forward. That's what I need from Jeff Okuda. Also, side note about the Lions. Tonight, they're premiering on Hard Knocks. I'm excited to watch that. I will have more takes on the Lions in the near future on the next podcast. Fortunately, I don't have enough time to delve into the Lions right now and how good I think they'll really be. Now let's go to another trading camp storyline, one that people don't seem to be talking about as much, and that's the Packers' offensive line. Uh, And why is that? Because Bakhtiari went under the knife yet again for a third knee procedure. He's been out a while uh, with these ACL and knee procedures. But so is another tackle that they had, their second-best offensive lineman, Elton Jenkins. People don't seem to be talking about that. Uh, they just seem to be talking about, well, Aaron Rod- and it's hard to not talk about Aaron Rodgers when you're taking ayahuasca and hallucinating half the time. You know, you've really the main focus is not on the team or anybody else. It's, it's just on you. And people can focus on that all they want. I've talked about it as well. But hidden in the Packers, there's a lot of flaws in this team. It's their... Wide receiver room, it leaves a lot to be deci- desired. You know, Sammy Watkins, wide receiver one, Christian Moore, you know, Alan Lazard, Darren Rodgers has spoken highly of him, but not high on any of them. Robert Tunyon coming off an ACL, your offensive line is battered and bruised. Yes, you've got two good running backs, but I'm very worried about this Packers team and this Packers O-line. Definitely not as high on them. There's a lot of other people, and if this O-line doesn't get it figured out and they don't have their stars on that line, it's going to be a it's gonna be a tough one, for, tough year for the Packers. But let's go to an O-line people seem to just want to talk about all the time, and that's the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's weak. It's not as good. Tom Brady's going to have no time to throw. People have just been miring this offensive line. And so is it as weak as people say? Let's see. Left tackle Donovan Smith. Easier average left tackle. He's not great. He's not bad. He's average. But I do think he's going to be better this year. And Tom Brady knows he's got to be a little better. There you go. I'll give you that one. If you want to, I'm not going to sit here and blaspheme the guy. I think he's he's good. He's all right. Middle of a pack left tackle. He can raise his game on occasion as well. This has to do with more consistency. Right tackle, Tristan Wirfs. Best right tackle in the game. First team all pro last year indicated he is the best right tackle, and this is his third year. He's been amazing since he's been drafted. Tristan Wirfs is the man. Right guard, they lost Alex Kappa to free agency to the Bengals. And everybody said, they've lost Kappa. They've lost their offensive lineman. They've replaced Kappa 
with a better right guard, Shaq Mason, who has had one of the highest uh, PFF grades, pro football focus grades the past few years, was on the Patriots uh, Super Bowl winner with them when they beat the Rams. So guess what? Shaq Mason knows Brady, is one of the best right guards, is an upgrade over Kappa. So there's that. Marpet retired. He was one of the best left guards in the game. Aaron Stinney steps up to replace him. But what most people forget is that Aaron Stinney was in that playoff run which they won the Super Bowl. Marpet was injured. Aaron Stinney was there, you know, beat the Packers, won the Super Bowl against the Chiefs, did his own again, handled it against Chris Jones in that front uh, four of the Chiefs. So, yes, Aaron Stinney is a viable replacement. Is he as good as Marpet? No, but he did an admirable job, and I think he can get more. Now, the biggest question is the center. Orion Jensen was the anchor of this line. The injury to him no doubt hurts. We know it's a long injury. It's going to take months. However, we don't know if it's a torn ACL, what's wrong with his knee, if it's out the rest of the year. But Bucks have been rather coy about it. So I'm interested to see, you know, you know, if it's too long-term, I think they sign a J.C. Treader, who's just as good as Ryan Jensen. If they think he'll be back uh, sometime in the season, I think they go with what they got. And I think they handle it just fine. Tom Brady has one of the quickest releases in the NFL. It might take a while to get acclimated, but this is what training camps for preseason snaps. Get him used to NFL action so that you're off and in the ground running. And then my last training camp topic is the Panthers quarterback battle between Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold. And it looks like Baker already won the job. Uh, you know, the chance have been strong for Baker um, Mayfield. Uh, you know, even the offensive coordinator, Ben McAdoo, you know, who is one of Baker's uh, biggest critics, have called him impressive. And it looks like he's won the starting job. He's taken majority of the first-team reps now. They are loving Baker. And I could have told you that from the beginning, that Baker was going to win this job. And like I said, motivated Baker, chip-on-his-shoulder Baker is the best kind of Baker. And we haven't got that for a while because there's been no chip. He's got the progressive commercials. Um, you know, he's got the keys to the kingdom, the keys to the Browns house, won a playoff game, you know, first Browns quarterback to do that in like 25 years. So he accomplished a lot, got a little complacent, did a little stupid things, uh, playing through the injury last year. Now he's back with a chip on his shoulder. Progressive has dropped him, fighting for his job. This brings out the best in Baker. Competition brings out the best in Baker. Sam Darnold, never that way. I'd rather have Baker's mental aspect of the game, his leadership, over Sam Darnold any day of the week. Next on the list, Matt Stafford's elbow. Diagnosed with elbow tendonitis. He's been taking pain injections. Even Sean McVay McVay has said this is an abnormal injury for a quarterback. It's more of a a pitcher injury, big deal or not. I'm going to say this is a big deal. You can take as many, as as I've read this um, issue with Matt Stafford, you can take as many pain injections as you want. You can monitor it, but any time you're compared your arm to a baseball pitcher, that's a very scary thing. especially in the elbow, because like they said, it's repetition. So you can manage the pain, manage the pain you can throw. But at one point, at what point is the elbow just going to give out? Now, that's a scary thought to think about if you have a Rams in the back of your head. That's something you're going to have to think about. Are we going to run the football more with this type of injury to preserve you know, his arm for the duration of the season, because it's a long season. It's 17 games. They've got the toughest schedule in the NFL. They're in one of the hardest divisions. 
it's not easy, easy riding here for Matt Stafford and the Rams. He's going to have to be in the best shape. So he's only taking limited throws in practice. He's not going to play preseason games. When is that elbow going to give out? My prediction this year is, I, you know, I don't ever want to see a player, you know, have a career-ending injury. But from what I've heard, I do think Matthew Stafford, I think that elbow gives out this year, um, which will not be good for the Los Angeles Rams. Next, moving on to the NBA. Kevin Durant met with owner Josiah of the Nets, gave him the ultimatum, said, hey, it's either me or get rid of coach Steve Nash and general manager Sean Marks. If you don't, guess what? You can still trade me. Very, very interesting, Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant you know, and Aaron Rodgers are to me eerily similar, basically the same person in, you know, you know, in a different sport. You know, uh, and here he is making this request to fire a coach that you picked. You know, it's pretty weird because when you first got there, you didn't want the guy that was currently there. So you said, hey, can you fire him? They fired him. And... They brought in Steve Nash per request of Kevin Durant. Now he wants him fired. You want the GM fire too. Shine Marks, who brought you here, has built a good team around you. You know, gave in to the James Harden request to get him. Got him out of there. He's, you know, been maneuvering all these things. And now you want him out regarded as one of the best GMs in the league. And then the owner, Josiah, yesterday in a tweet back to the staff and said, hey, the coaches, staff have my full support. And if I'm Sean Marks or, uh, yeah, I'm Sean Marks, I'm looking for a trade right away. In no way am I going to get low-jacked by Kevin Durant on my job. I'll trade him, and I'll trade him right now. I accept the best offer. Whatever has come to me, I accept the best offer because Kevin Durant is not going to hijack this team. And if I'm the owner, it was smart that he uh, tweeted the support of the coach's players because if you go out, fire your coach, fire your GM, who would want to come coach the Nets? Who in their right mind wants to coach the Nets right now where Kyrie Irving holds his own practices does whatever he wants. Who wants that? Who wants to coach with the headache there? If I'm a GM, I've assembled a good team, and I get fired. If I'm another GM, why would I want to come to this team where there's so much uncertainty? Am I next? I do something wrong. And is he going to go to Joe Sy and want to fire me? You know, you back Kevin Durant and you get rid of these two guys. I don't know what coach comes in, even Kyrie Irving says that they don't even need a coach. It's all ludicrous, this net situation. I really don't want, I'm ha- I, you know, I don't want Kevin Durant infecting my team. Um, you know, I'm a big LeBron guy. Uh, I kind of root for him wherever he goes. So it's the Lakers right now. I really don't want Kevin Durant with LeBron. I, heck, he's more of a, de- as a, is the main focal point, he's a derailer is what he is. He derailed the Thunder. He derailed the Nets. You know, the only reason he fit in with the Warriors because it was Steph's team. He was able to absorb all the blame. He's able to handle all the egos. And I'll give Steph, you know, he did a lot of showboating and front-running, and his humility really took a hit this year. I can't say he's a humble guy at all after what I saw in the playoffs this year. But what I will say is he knows how to manage egos, and he has decent leadership, even though he's not humble. When Draymond fires at him, you know, willingly, he couldn't shoot when he won the MVP. It's like, oh, come on, Draymond. But he doesn't say anything. Uh, he's even keel. I'll give that to Steph Curry. 
no one on the Nets can handle this. If I'm the Nets, I'm trading Kevin Durant. Um, he's not derailing my team anymore. I'm writing this ship. I'm getting us back. And that starts with the Kevin Durant trade. So be it. In another report with the Nets, a report came out about Ben Simmons yesterday that he was in a group chat, asked if he was in the play game four. Nets are down 3-0 to the Boston Celtics. Series is already over. You're kind of just playing for pride. You know, you just don't want to get swept. He was asked in the group chat if he was going to play. He left the group chat. Left the group chat. Who does that? Who does that? Again, I'll reference that back to work. I'm in a group chat with my team. You know, if I'm just taking days off and they ask me, are you coming in today? Are you going to get this done? And I leave the group chat? What's going to happen to me? Oh, that's right. The next group chat message is going to be, hey, Josh, don't come in tomorrow. Somebody else can do this. Somebody else will come in. Yeah. Ben Simmons, who are you? What are you thinking? Um, to me, the Nets are just a disaster, and it's a result. And it's sad that it's their, it's their biggest players that are a disaster. Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, Ben Simmons. You want your biggest players to be your best players, not just in terms of skill, but in terms of leadership, the intangibles. That's what we look at with LeBron, and he's been a phenomenal leader. We look at with uh, Steph Curry, great leader. But when you look at, you know, Jimmy Butler, great leader, Jason Tatum. But when you look at any of these star players on the Nets, none of them are great leaders. None of them I'd want to go into battle with if I were none of them. You know, Ben Simmons wouldn't show up to the battle at all. Kyrie would be 50-50. And same with Kevin Durant. Heck. He might switch to the other team if he doesn't like a certain player or a certain member of, you know. It, it baffles me, these NBA guys. It does. And maybe that's the reason why the NBA our ratings have taken a hit. It's not as interesting anymore because it's just a bunch of unnecessary drama. It's a bunch of, you know, crap surrounding them. Um, that's just not good for the sport or for the game. Next up, college football. The first coaches poll came out. You know, I'm not really, uh, you know, I'll take the AP poll, but really none of the polls really matter until the, the college football playoff uh, official rankings come out, which is like week nine or week ten. But in terms of topic, I thought, well, I'd look at the coaches poll because these are only coaches who vote. And I thought, you know, why not see who the coaches really think are going to be good? So you have your top three as usual, Alabama, number one, Ohio State, two, Georgia, three. Now I could have predicted that with, you know, little knowledge of college football. But some things really surprised me, you know, who coaches really think are going to be good. Clemson, Clemson's one. I didn't see enough from their quarterback, DJ, last year that made me think that they're going to go from, you know, 20th to four. Now I know they had a good, good class. The quarterback remains the same, so it's very interesting. Notre Dame, another one there, rounding out the top five. You know, to me, for Notre Dame, and the coaches, I don't know if it's, you know, a paid thing or they're paid to put Notre Dame. Notre Dame at five, uh, it's eerie to me. Six is Michigan. Uh, personally, I would have, you know, this isn't my own bias, but I'd have Michigan, uh, and that top five, considering how good they were last year, considering how much we're bringing back on offense, uh, Texas A&M, I might have above Notre Dame, too, considering the recruits. Utah, the streak they're in. Another thing that surprised me oh, was that Texas got a first-place vote. So the only four teams with a first-place vote are Alabama, understandable. Ohio State, I'll get that. Georgia, defending champions. But Texas gets one vote. I would like to know of a coach who voted for Texas, because Texas is 18 in the coaches' poll, but one coach voted for Texas. Very surprising. 
very, very surprising that Texas got a vote over 17 other teams that are ahead of Texas. So we'll see. I think this puts already some chips on the shoulder. Coaches that respect us, you know, disrespect us, all of the above there. But I'm excited for college football, and I'll be talking about college football a lot more in the coming weeks. Other sports news, Live Live Golf is suing the PGA Tour. Suing the PGA. To me, it is, is just a joke. Uh, it, to me, it's it's all a joke. You know, the Phil Mickelson's, the Bryson DeChambeau's, the people I don't really know, the Gooch, Jones, and Swafford live players suing the PGA Tour because they want to play in tour. You know, it's so, so strange when all these reporters ask the, you know, ask these live golfers, why'd you join live? Why'd you jump off? You know, the PGA Tour and join this Saudi Arabia back tour with Greg Norman. And nobody really says anything about it. They're all coy. Most of them say it's a family decision. It's personal. Nobody really comes out and says it. So you have to put context clues. Is it just money? Because there's large sums of money. This money is all guaranteed. You only get to play 14 events compared to the PGA's, you know, at minimum 15. But if you want, you can play as many as you want every week, if you so much please. And here they are, wanting to come back to the PGA Tour to play in the FedEx Cup playoffs. To me, it makes little to no sense that they left the PGA Tour knowing what would probably happen Um know the memos that we're going to get sent out. There have been texts revealed from Greg Norman, uh, the mastermind himself, and Sergio Garcia, who left. And Greg Norman kind of lied to the players and said that they wouldn't sue. So, you know, he's trying to get players on his live golf. But as, you know, Scotty Shuffler, you know, Morikawa, uh, Horschel says, you know, they're suing the PGA Tour. They're suing me because money is coming out of my paycheck. I'm part of a PGA Tour. I represent the PGA Tour. So, you know, obviously, you know, the friendship's there slowly getting burned. I don't think there's a problem at first, but now I think it does represent a problem. Uh, who knows if they'll play in the first round of the FedEx Cup playoffs. It'll be very interesting. Uh, but this live thing is not going away. I don't think a live should win their lawsuit at all. Uh, I don't care if you qualify or not. The rules are the rules. Um, you're qualified, but then you left. So the qualification doesn't really count anymore, does it? Uh, so I back the PGA Tour players still. Um, and a live golf, they should just shut up. Go away. Fred Couples isn't happy. They want to do their own thing. Why can't they be happy? They left the tour happy. Now they want to sue it. To me, all the live golfers, all, there's four of them, but only like 11, 15 of them have come from a PJ. Those guys are so delusional and out of touch with society uh, that it's really, it's really sad. On their part. And then last thing I wanted to touch on. Was Serena Williams. Retiring soon. You know she said today. In her Instagram post or Twitter post. I forgot which one I read. That she's evolving away from the game. Uh, you know. Recognizes other decisions. But you know she just said that. Retirement's in the imminent future. So my phone gets blown up with alerts. I'm reading articles. Serena Williams is retiring She's retiring. I'm like, whoa, that's crazy. And then I read all these things. It's like when you get to the heart of it, she's retiring soon. Anybody can say that. If she said that she still has the desire to play tennis, it's hard for her to walk away. Anybody can say they're retiring soon. I can say I'm retiring soon. 
Soon means different things for different people. Do I think we should make a big deal about Serena Williams retiring soon? No, I don't. I can say I'm retiring soon, and the soon could be 30 years. Someone else could say I'm retiring soon. It could be 30 days. It's different for everybody. I think we celebrate Serena when it's all said and done. But if you want to celebrate Serena now, you already can. Because to me, she's the GOAT of tennis, even if she doesn't reach Margaret Court's record, which she's one away from, and it's been there five years I've been taking, and it's been rough. I got to see her at Arthur Ashe. Uh, in 2019, uh, lose at the U.S. Open Queens. Heartbreaking for me being a huge Serena Williams fan. But nothing I can do about it, nothing she can do about it. But just accept that she's the GOAT of women's sports. This has been Unbothered. We're back. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye, everybody.